Imagine having access to a tribe of mentors consisting of some of the best tech leaders in the world, people you may have never heard of, but who in just an hour, you'll know their unfiltered career story, the bets they took, the decisions they made, where they failed, and the lessons that they learned along the way. Welcome to the What Makes You Tick podcast. Grant, welcome back to the show. Hey, Tulu. How are you? Very well, thanks. And you? I'm good, thank you. Good to see you again. Likewise, likewise. So we recorded not too long ago, and then we, we felt like there was probably a little bit more that we, we could talk about. So we've got this bonus episode. And the, the topic for this is a little bit about sales leadership strategy. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from your experience some of the things that you found really, really impactful and effective. Cool. Thanks for having so me back. One of the, oh, absolute pleasure. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Um, so my first question is around how do you align a team around a plan? Um, I think, I think there's probably various ways to do it, but the way I've seen it most effectively, and I, and I, companies I've worked in and with tend to focus on aligning their senior team around a strategy and that, that totally makes sense. Um, and you know, it's not rocket science. You get very clear objectives. You get the right team on the bus, the right individuals. Hmm. You make sure you know what they know what their partner is. They're properly incentivized, and then you kind of leave them to it. That that's my experience of being in the team and, and leading senior leadership teams. But when I see that in, in sales teams, um, quite often I see incentives not aligned with the objectives of the plan. So I've seen, for example, new start businesses who with, you know, in a market where the sales cycle might be three to six months uh, and they're trying to recruit good sales talent um, based on what they learn from the revenue they bring in. Now, you know, in a challenging recruitment market as we've got right now, you know, people need to see a direct line of sight between the actions they're gonna, they're gonna uh, carry out today and what they're gonna earn. So from a sales perspective, making sure that you're pulling the right levers or pushing the right buttons, you know, be very, very clear. Is it a lead gen and opportunity uh, creation uh, challenge that you have, or is it actually closing out deals around getting the right, um, the right conversion ratios, for example? So I think from a sales perspective, making sure the incentives are really, really clearly tied to the actions and the behaviors that you want to see in the team. And when you say it, or certainly it sounds to me when I say it, it sounds quite obvious, but very often there's a miss, mm. a disconnect between the behaviors people want to see in their sales team and what they're actually giving them as an incentive to create the behaviors. And, and for me, you know, particularly sales teams and sales organizations, they're incentivized by what are they going to earn? What's the, you know, what's the, uh, what's the, the, the OT and all of that good stuff. So you need to make sure they're very, very clearly aligned. And I think it comes with understanding the market, understanding your industry, understanding your current strategy and your current goals. And I feel like sometimes those things change, but the incentivization hasn't necessarily caught up with that. So I think yeah. you're right. It does sound super simple, but actually doing it in practice and keeping on top of it is what makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. And I think for understandable reasons, a lot of businesses don't like to mess with the incentive scheme too much. And, and you shouldn't, you know, if you change it too often, then, you know, the sales team really don't know where they stand. Um, but you're 100% right. If the strategy changes, the objectives change, the direction changes, then you need to be really, really 
really clear and be absolutely sure the incentives are, are driving the right behaviours towards that or the sales team won't get their OTE, you'll start to bleed people and it just all gets more difficult. Have you had to change the, the incentivization structure kind of midway before? Yeah, I've, I've had to do it. Um, I've had to do it a number of times. Um, and I think, you know, it, it depends. Um, you know, I've done it for clients. I've done it, for, you know, clients that have um, an incentive scheme that's not aligned with the behaviours that won't drive the behaviours that, that they needed the sales team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's difficult. The biggest challenge is making sure that the sales team understand where you're going with it and what they're going to get from it. And you need to be really clear on the communications mm -hmm. around that. I think the, the real basic fundamental is, I think sales teams need to have a direct line of sight between what they're doing and what they learn. If you don't have that clear line of sight, it's very, very difficult to drive the right behaviors and have a motivated sales team in my experience. So what were some of the things that you found in terms of that change process that have made it smoother or made it work better when you've had to do that? Uh, I think, I mean, to your point, I mean, sharing the market information. So having a very sort of clear view of what the market um, drivers are uh, and what the objectives of the business mm -hmm. are and making sure you're, that you're sharing that information with the sales team. Um, and a lot of the time, um, you know, the, the senior leadership team will have clear sight of what the, the strategy is and how it's developing, but that do, often doesn't make it to the sales team. Um, so I think being very clear on the reasons for the changes, what the market drivers are, and essentially to, to show that it's being changed to help the business, but also to help the sales team, because they're going to start to earn more mm -hmm. if, the, if the incentives are right um, based on, on the market knowledge and market, uh, market drivers. So that'd be one. Um, and I think, you know, again, it, it's a basic fundamental, but often doesn't happen. Some very clear worked examples. You know, if if I achieve this in terms of conversion ratio mm -hmm. or deal numbers or revenue, then I will earn this uh, as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really mm -hmm. important to make sure it's just really crystal clear in terms of what those calculations look like. Because, you know, often it's um, it's uh, disappears into a sort of mysterious formula and calculation that, that nobody sees until the number pops out the end and the sales leaders are generally left trying to explain it after the fact so try and keep the sales team aligned and keep them informed and so they know exactly what's going on through the process that i mean that it causes more questions and, and uh, a little bit of unrest i guess but my experience is you're much better to be upfront and open that you're changing the scheme and why you're doing it that that's you know, that's my experience mm -hmm. I really liked what you said about, you know, making it clear that actually this benefits them. And I think it's important that that's a, a key part that does actually benefit the sales team, because otherwise it is going to just yeah. be de demotivating. <laughs> yeah, and, and it creates suspicion. Um, you know, if the numbers are changed or the calculations are changed and there's no clarity around what that is or why, then it naturally mm. creates suspicion in the team. Um, and just, yeah, just yeah. need to be really, really open about it, as open as you possibly can be. Mm -hmm. So my next question for you is about which members of the sales team are the engine for your growth? Um, so, I mean, I think that generally the assumption is that it's the high performers. So, I mean, when I'm looking at a sales team, I would generally split them into three broad categories. And you know, this is nothing I'm sure that, that 
that you haven't heard or your listeners listeners haven't heard. But you've got your top performers, your mid performers, and your under performers or low performers. What I find, and my experience has been in, in corporate and also working with clients, that the the top performers tend to get all of the attention, and I, and I understand why that is. Mm. Um, but a lot of the time, they're already performing at the top of their game. So in terms of the increase in their performance that you can create through, you know, improved leadership or improved processes or information or, you know, technology, whatever, then that can be relatively limited for that top performing group. Mm. And you go to the lower performers, you know, probably at some point they or the business needs to make a decision that they're going to, they need to go and be successful elsewhere. I mean, it's, that's just, you know, that, that happens. That's just, that's just part of the, the natural dynamics of a team. But what I find is that mid-range, and it's normally about 60% of the sales team, um, if you can incrementally improve the effectiveness of that mid-range part of your team, they, by definition, have got the majority of your customer base generally. Um, so if you, and, and they might not be the, you know, the, the highest performing, they might not be the most talented or most experienced, but if you can give them better structure, better process, better incentive, and better clarity around planning, better technology, then you can actually drive an improvement in that mid-range part of your team. And from my experience, that's where the growth comes from. You know, and and that top performing element, you need to be really, really, you know, on it in terms of looking after them. Absolutely, you do. Uh, and you need to squeeze as much as you can for them out of the incentive scheme or you know, whatever it is that, that motivates them and, and, and keep them happy, good leadership and all of that stuff. But that mid-range, that those mid-performers, for me, um, uh, that's where the sales leaders can really drive growth. Uh, and that'd be the engine of the growth for, for uh, engine of growth for the team, because the performance gap between you know what they could do and what they're actually doing that is generally much much bigger than the performance gap between what a top performer is doing and what they what they could do if they were you know one hundred percent effective. So that middle part of the team, you know, and often it gets overlooked, but they're the ones that benefit the most from more process, more training, more, you know, more, more uh, technology or whatever it is that you give to them to, to drive that incremental performance improvement. So it sounds like if I understand right, what you're saying is, it's not, it's not about ignoring the top and the bottom, but it's about giving the right attention and focusing on the right thing. So with the top people, it's about really making sure that they're happy, making sure that they're comfortable, making sure that the direction of travel is correct. But with the mid people, that's where we're focusing more of the developmental attention. So that's where we're correct. really working yeah. and getting them better, right? Is that what, is that what you're saying? hundred percent, hundred percent. Because that, that's the part, well, it's, it's the majority of the team. I mean, most will be in that mid range. And, and again, it's just, you know, the rough rule of thumb I would use and what I've experienced is it's normally about 60% of the team. Um, so therefore they hold the majority of the customer base. They're having the majority of the customer interactions. Um, and if you focus, they're the ones that will benefit the most from any training and development, any learning and development, any technology improvements that you that you bring to them, that absolutely that's the group that, that will benefit the most from it. And as the biggest part of the team, that'll have the biggest impact on your growth numbers. Do you ever get the top performers involved in the development of the, the mid guys, or is that a bit of a distraction? Um, it depends. I mean, I think um, 
you know, it's great for um, for motivation and for personal development for the top performers, for them to mentor and coach, start to become part of that uh, part of that group. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but you do need to be, to your point, very conscious that that can distract them from their day job, which is making sure they're they're closing the deals and doing what they're great at. Um, but I think uh, if you have top performers, then you know, absolutely um, get them involved in the development of the mid-range, some middle performers. Um, but one thing that you do need to be also cognizant of is a lot of top performing salespeople that I've met can be naturally good at what they do. They're not necessarily the best mm. in you know, process, keeping CRM up to date, all the stuff that are the hygiene factors yeah. to make sure the team is running well. Um, so not everybody will be able to emulate what the top performers do. So I think you need to be quite selective in terms of A, who you ask from that top performing group to help with the middle range guys, um, and also what it is you ask them to be involved in. From you know motivational point of view, great, but sometimes the top performers are not necessarily the best at those structure and process type uh, activities that you really want to focus on with those uh, mid range to drive up the drive up the effectiveness. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And and from your experience with working with different companies, what have been some of the blockers that you've seen to to sales transformation or sales marketing transformation? Um, I mean, I think I think it's easy for organisations to assume that investment in technology is going to fix, you know, is going to improve effectiveness, and it can. Um, but the biggest challenges that I've seen businesses have to overcome are behavioural and cultural challenges. Um, and regardless of what the technology is that you implement or what the strategy is that you implement, the thing that really makes the difference is, are those behavioural challenges and those cultural challenges. Um, I think the, uh, I heard a saying quite a long time ago, and I loved it at the time, uh, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So regardless of what mm. strategy you want to implement, mm. you know, and we talked earlier um, about, you know, changing incentives and, you know, changing how the team is structured based on, you know, market dynamics or whatever is, is changing around the, the organization. Um, but once you've established, once a business culture is established, it's very, very difficult to change that. So the biggest successes that I've had and I've seen are where the strategy is implemented, but the culture and behavior of the team that's, or, or the business and the organization that's been established is, is recognized as part of, that, uh, part of that strategy. Because if the two are diametrically mm-hmm. opposed, then you know, people will just not buy into it and the culture will destroy the strategy. It's just that's, and I've seen it happen. Um, it's, yeah, culture and behavior is very, very difficult to overcome just through technology or strategy implementation. Uh, so yeah, um, behavioral challenges, cultural challenges, you know, ignore those at your peril for any kind of transformation project is my experience. How do you go about changing a culture? So I think leadership is one. Um, I think, I mean, and it's not, you know, you can, you can listen to or watch any number of leadership gurus and, and they'll, they'll talk about, about the fact that the leadership sets the tone and that's absolutely true. Uh, and I've been in organizations where um, a culture change was needed and when the, the 
a new leader started or when I started in leadership of a team, then some very, very clear visual things need to happen to show people that things are changing. So whether that be, you know, if a culture is not great at meeting deadlines and really quite you know flexible around discipline, then the leader has to mm. really, really step up and be absolutely structured, um, be very, very black and white about time, about timekeeping, about meetings running on time. You know, there are just some very, very obvious visual cues, I think, that you have to be very clear about when you're when you're trying to change a culture in it not just in an organization but even at a more micro level within a within a specific team sales team or otherwise um, because people people react to how the leader behaves people react to the tone that they set and people react to the um, uh, the way that they behave so I think leadership is, is just I mean, that's absolutely critical to behavioral change and cultural change. How, how do you deal with it when the leader themselves is the problem? I think it depends. Um, do you mean as a team <laughs> or, do you mean, or do you mean the business? So probably a bit of both, actually. So have you ever been in a team where the leader is the problem and how have you overcome that? And then as the business, so when you've gone in and you see actually one of the leaders is the problem. So, yeah, absolutely. Both, been in both circumstances. I think in the former, um, I focused very, very clearly on what I thought my objectives were and tried to set my own standards for my own team. Um, and, uh, you know, almost regardless of what the wider culture uh, and the, the cues and the note the, uh, were around the wider culture. Going into a business where the leader's the problem, I mean, it depends what level of leader you're talking about. I've been in uh, businesses where you've had to switch out um, sort of team leadership, um, move move them into different roles or give them a different set of objectives that play to their strengths. Um, yeah, and ultimately, you know, some people don't fit culture and some cultures don't fit people. So ultimately, you know, sometimes people have to move on. That's that's just that's yeah. just part and parcel of it. Um, but you know, obviously, the larger the organisation and the more ingrained the culture is, the more challenging it is to uh, to change. Um, but it only only comes about through strong leadership. And there's just there's just no question. There's, that's the absolute key. That makes sense. And where do you where do you learn about some of these these strategies and some of these things? Is it just from experience, or have you done some kind of learning? Are there resources that you normally look at to keep up to date? Yeah, I mean, I've done a number of leadership. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do um, leadership training or uh, strategy at IMD uh, in Lausanne Business School, which was an incredible opportunity and it was a fantastic experience. Um, and I think, I mean, it just, it really comes with experience. Um, I think if th there are so many resources around now that, that you can tap into, whether it be on LinkedIn or LinkedIn Learning or, you know, the various people that you can follow now that, that, uh, that you know, understand business culture and cultural change and transition. Um, so you just need to go looking for the ones that, uh, that I think you know, resonate with you and, and they're not that difficult to find these days. But personally, I was fortunate enough to have had um, leadership and strategy uh, and transformation training or coaching or mentoring um, in a very structured way as part of my professional mm -hmm. development. So that's one of the things I'm very grateful for in my career. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
So, so Grant, just as we close, what was the toughest lesson that you've had to learn as a sales leader? Um, the toughest lesson. Um, I think the toughest lesson. There are a number of them, but I'll give you one. Um, I. You can give me three. You can enough. give me three if you want to. <laughs> So so the first one that springs to mind, I've been lucky enough to work with a number of very, very talented salespeople, very successful, great driving revenue, tremendous at creating relationships. Um, But in, in certain businesses and in certain territories, it's difficult for great salespeople once they get to a certain level to progress. I mean, the, the best salesperson mm. in the world might not be the, the best sales leader in the world. Um, but I've mm. been in some environments where the, the only option for that person to progress is to become a sales leader. Um, and they might not necessarily want to do it, but they've been successful in their career to date. And that's the obvious mm. step for them. I think um, I, I have found it tough to manage really good people in those situations, knowing that they're not cut out for, ready for, or the right fit for leadership positions when they come up. Um, I think in Mm. North America, that's less of a challenge because, I mean, my experience is that sales is very much a career in North America. And if you want to stay from the age of 17 to the age of 67, in sales, then you'll do really well. You'll earn your, your earning potential is huge. Um, but in certain other parts of the world, then that's not so much the case. Um, and I've found it mm. difficult mm. working with great people who have kind of hit a bit of a ceiling with their with their sales career. Um, that's been mm. a challenge that's 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 been difficult at various points in my career. Um, glad to say that in each case, the person's gone on to continue be to be successful. Um, but uh, that's that's something that I reflect on quite regularly is um, when when people go down the sales career, uh, the sales route, sorry, as a career, that, that can be a challenge and, mm. and they can hit a point in the career where they're not sure what to do and sometimes the business isn't sure what to do with them. That's a difficult, difficult mm. point to get to. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that you've been able to do to overcome that? Because I think it's that thing of, can I continue being an individual contributor or do I have to transition into leadership? And I think those two kind of split paths are quite new in terms of realizing that actually you just need to create more paths for ICs as well so that they can still grow because then you're not forcing them into something they're not good at. So what were some of the things that you were able to do to to help the situations? Well, kind of related to what we talked about previously, um, when strategy changes, you know, for example, you know, if you're in an organization that's been territory based as a sales team and then they want, as as most businesses have done and should do, become sector focused, then you can start to create more career path around that sector specialism. And whether mm. that's moving from from, you know, as an a, a, as an individual contributor from being an account manager to a strategic account manager or, or whatever the change might be but you can start to create additional fulfillment in different career paths that don't involve you having to become a leader and and, and so you know mm. you're absolutely spot on um and that's what i've tried to do i've tried to create opportunity whether it be if appropriate 
giving them some level of coaching and mentoring um, experience and responsibility yeah. around less experienced, less successful members of the team, or whether it be investing in them to make them a sector expert, not just by giving them a title, but get them to the right training, get them involved in the right industry bodies, get them to the right events and exhibitions, whether it's oil and gas or construction or manufacturing or whatever it might be, give them exposure to that development. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, everybody likes a, 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 a fancier title than they've got at the moment. That's, that's mm. just human nature. But I think what people really want is personal development and challenge. And you know, for sales teams, if there's some additional pound notes or dollar notes that go along with that, then that's all good. But people people want to be challenged. They want personal development, they want to learn and they want to grow. That that's my experience. So long answer to a short question. The short answer would be look for a ways to give them additional fulfillment. Uh that doesn't mean they have to start managing five or six people that they just really don't want to do. Something that you mentioned was that sectors are the way forward over territories. Why do you think that is? It's not not in every business, um, but I think so. As you as um, if 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 you look at the move of uh, there are a number of industrial business. I'll, I'll use industrial businesses as as an example. So that there are mm. still a number of very large industrial businesses who have essentially one sales channel. So you've essentially mm. got your uh, field sales channel um, and, you know, and that's, and that's, that's fine. It's been effective for them, but as you move towards omni-channel or even multi-channel, so e-commerce inside sales, you know, as you start to develop a proper multi-channel sales approach, then customers become less inclined to want to talk to generalists because the generalist mm -hmm. stuff, the, the more commoditized purchases they can buy easily uh, online or via a phone call from inside sales or whatever it might be. Um, but uh, when they do want to see a feel, spend the time and invest the time in a conversation one-to-one -one with a, a sales rep uh, or an account manager, that person has to bring more than just a product or service. They have to have industry knowledge, sector knowledge, need to understand the drivers of the market that their customers operate within, all of that. Mm. Um, and really the only way that you can develop your sales teams around that is, is sector specialism because they can't understand, they have that depth of knowledge across all the sectors if they're generalists. So if you're mm. going to you know, move your... Your one, your actual um, human interactions, if you like, with field sales and account managers and, and strategic account managers up the value chain with customers, then they have to offer a lot more and they have to be immersed in the sector that they're talking to their customers within. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the customer can, you know, they can do a lot of their own research themselves. They need to bring more of that. And in my experience, mm -hmm. the way to do that is to develop sector specialists. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Just before we close, were there any t other tough lessons that you've learned that you wanted to share? Um, uh, I've learned I've <laughs> lots of tough lessons. <laughs> uh, I think um, the, the cultural managing out with uh, your own country is a challenge the first time you do it. Um, you know, I 
relatively early in my career, had my first international assignment, if you like, and I started managing um, different cultures um, when I was uh, had a, a GM role, P&L role. Um, and being cognizant of the differences in culture between your country and the other countries you're operating within is that's, I mean, that was a tough, tough lesson. Um, and I, and the first time I did it, I saw all of the similarities with the, the, the new country that I'd become responsible for culturally. Um, mm. and then the first labor dispute that I had to deal with all of the differences culturally came out and, and <laughs> absolutely, absolutely blindsided me. Um, and it taught yeah. me that, you know, you, you can proactively learn about the culture that you're working with and you can't, I mean, you, you can, mm. there are organizations out there that can help you to culturally acclimatize and to understand what the differences between your, uh, your own culture are and this, those, um, cultures of the, the country or countries that you're then starting to work with. And I mean, part of you, you can only learn by experience, but some of it you can actually mm. learn through, you know, that, as I say, there are various organizations out there that can help you with it. But I was not cognizant of that the first time I managed out with my own country and it bit me really badly, <laughs> really badly. <laughs> Those labor disputes are very different in, in different countries. So I can understand that. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't mention the cultures involved, but when I, I mean, I had the discussion with, um, with uh, a team leader about the, the, the salary of one of their team. Um, and mm. we agreed that, you know, they were, that we would do something about that salary. So we did it. And then two weeks after the salary had been amended, the whole team was in my office asking why they weren't getting the same. And I was like, well, hold on, <laughs> where did this come from? It was just Whoa. very, very yeah. challenging. Yeah, but, I mean, I thought I was having a very private conversation that wouldn't go any further just you know, naivety uh, uh, at the end of the day um, really came and bit me, but that was a big cultural lesson. It was very different from how it would have worked um, uh, in, in the UK. Mm. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you for coming back for, for a bonus episode. I've really enjoyed, enjoyed talking to you again. So thanks a lot, Grant. Many thanks, Tolu. And thank you guys for listening and see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to What Makes You Tick. And I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed having the conversation. Absolutely. You don't have to have met someone in real life to be mentored by them, right? We've all got favorite sales books. And hopefully this podcast is giving you access to a whole new tribe of mentors who through their stories and best advice will help you to achieve a bigger and better career in tech. So if you want to never miss a beat, subscribe now and then you'll get notified as soon as next week's mentor releases their story. Thank you so much and we'll see you on the next episode.